Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, and uh, we're going to have a good time today. I, I, every year on Palm Sunday, which this is today, I, I like to pick something out in the final week of Jesus' life, we call it the Passion Week, as a theme uh, to teach on and drill down a little bit further, because um, I enjoy doing that. That's why I do that for uh, Wednesday at 4 o'clock, verse by verse study on the church Facebook page. Um, but today we're going to look at following the blood trail specifically within the cup, the door, and the oil press. And I want to begin with a question today. And the question is, how many of you like to eat? Uh, you know, that wasn't much noise for people like to eat. Let me try it again. Let me back up. And how many of you like to eat? How much you, well, you would consider yourself pretty much an expert on eating? Yes. Then on that question that was given to you to mingle with, on what are you an expert in or something like that, I remember before first service when we practiced the service, I, I raised my hand and I said, eating, I'm an expert on eating because I'm really good at dis- discerning whether it's a good hamburger or not, okay? But I like eating. And this is one of the things I like about the Bible and the Bible, for those of you newer to Christianity or coming in as a visitor today, you don't really know much about it, the Bible is not a book. It really isn't. It's a collection of 66 documents uh, put together 39 in what's called the Jewish Scriptures Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament for us Christians there. And with the amazing thing about this 66 collection of documents in one book is that, um, that it was written over 50... All these 66 books were written over 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages by over 40 different authors and it doesn't contradict itself. Isn't that an amazing thing? And there are passages and prophecies in the, in the Bible that it came true to so specific and only God could do something like that. You say it's man-made, man-written. Well, man wrote it, but we're inspired by God himself. And so this is a unique document that we have. It begins, the first document in the Old Testament, Genesis, it begins with food, back to food again. They're in the Garden of Eden and there he can eat everything there except for that one thing. How many know when you can have everything except the one thing? What's the one thing you want? The one thing you can't have. So don't blame Adam and Eve. You would have blown it too. So it starts with food. Then you go to the last document in, in the Bible, the 66th book in there, and it's a Revelation. And it ends with food in the New Jerusalem where is the, where is the, the tree of... Uh, and I'm blank right now. But anyway, there's fruit on that tree, okay? And so it ends with food. And, so all, and in between, Jesus, it's all about food. Have you ever noticed when you read the Gospels, Jesus eats a lot? Has anyone noticed that besides me? He really enjoys sitting down and eating with people. But there's a cultural aspect to that in that if I ate with you and you ate with me, that meant we unconditionally accept each other. That's why Jesus hands the morsel to Judas at the Last Supper, hoping that Judas, even though this sounds crazy theologically, that he'll change his mind because Jesus still loves the guy loves him a lot. So it's not, uh, not unfounded, not crazy that we start today with food. Jesus comes to what's called Passover with his 12 disciples. They're in an upper room. And this Passover meal is what they've celebrated for many, many years. In fact, it's going on at that time of Jesus. They've been celebrating at that time about 1,475, 80 years, somewhere in that vicinity. Now, Passover meal is very specific and unique. Because that meal is the meal that they first celebrated the night before they were going to be uh, liberated as slaves in Egypt. And it's when God said, take this lamb 
and you take it and you kill it and you drain the blood out of it and you put the blood on the two sides of the door doorpost and on top on the lintel and then when the angel of death comes by uh, if you have a firstborn male in there they, they won't die but if you don't put blood on the door your firstborn male will die is this, what is this for anybody even the Egyptians could have put on the door you just had to have faith enough to believe it, just that you'd put on the door and believe that now somebody here might think well, that's mean of God to kill the firstborn male this is not about a meanie God this is about the Old Testament if then if you do something there's, you know, there's going to come back at you 80 years before um, um, this moment where they're leaving Egypt where the angel of death is coming uh, 80 years before that Pharaoh was having all the new baby boys of Israelites drowned in the Nile River so it's coming back to get them but here's the great thing about God God still gives you a way out in a way of grace and mercy by saying just put the door the blood on the door even if you're Egyptian put the blood on the door and the angel of death will pass over you and you, no one will die there will be salvation in your home on that door God will see it and pass over here but of course they didn't and, and young boys died that night now the Passover meal itself there's many aspects to it I'll just give you a few they had to cook it a certain way they had to roast it and also they had to eat all of it they could leave nothing left over of that but here's the, the, one of the neatest things about that night for the families that are gathered in that home and that is that every generation each year as they, they celebrate Passover they would share with the children they'd go over the story again on how God delivered them from Egyptian bondage and they would tell that story every year so their children would know about a God who loved them and a God who liberated them every year let me tell you something about that why do you think it's so important to have your children in church come on man you've got to have them it's a social action also where they're involved in a social function where God is the center and they're learning about God in the classrooms or they're learning about God in the midweek services you don't want to wait too long to start doing that because the culture out there is already training them the wrong way and so get them in young get them in regularly and, and watch what God does and you reinforce the teaching at home we'll reinforce it here so God is the center of their life sound like a good plan so far? so they would do that now when they come to the last supper Jesus and the twelve disciples you need to understand something they celebrated this it's Passover meal the year before that and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that been going on like I said 1400 and about 75, 80 years so it's nothing new to them this was like Passover okay we know that so we're going to go do it but then Jesus at that Passover meal he does something new he injects a change and we all know that we all love change until change affects us right I'm okay with you changing but just leave me alone that's the way life is for most of us so he injects change and here's what he does we call it the last supper we call it communion here's what happens Matthew 26 is one is Matthew's perspective on that night saying this while they were eating Jesus took some bread and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body that's what Jesus said and when he had taken a cup and given thanks he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins 
But I say to you, Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I, I find that last statement very striking because Jesus knows that they're going to arrest him that night, that he's going to be tortured and crucified in the morning for mankind, and yet he worships, and yet he sings. He's singing the Hallels of Psalm 116, 117, and 118. He's singing them. I, I, let me pose a question. If you knew that you were in God's will and yet God's will required a lot of suffering and torture, you know it's coming in the morning, could you really sing the night before? I don't know if I could. I really don't know if I could. I'd like to say I could, but I, I, I don't know. Jesus does it and he knows exactly what's coming down the pike. He knows exactly the way they're going to torture and kill him. But here he comes and Jesus now begins to walk. He leaves that upper room and he's going to walk down. Now watch where it says he's going. John gives us a verse here in John 18.1. John is one of the 12 disciple apostles. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. So now we find that Jesus is walking down off this uh, area on, in South Jerusalem, going down the ravine of the Kidron. Image, please, on the screen. Now, this is a modern-day look at what the Kidron Valley looks like. This is the eastern side. See the wall up there? That's the wall of Jerusalem today. This is the eastern side. If you know what the Golden Dome is, it would be to the right more. But he's coming down this valley here, and he's going to go up into the left of the picture, up onto the Mount of Olives, or Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus. It's all up there where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Now, here's a picture that I want to paint for you in this one. As he's coming down the valley on the Jerusalem wall side, he's coming down, understand that it's Passover. There are over 200,000 lambs being sacrificed up on that altar, up on the Temple Mount. The historian Josephus, he makes a statement and he says 256,000 lambs are sacrificed. Now hold the thought there. That's a lot of blood, right? At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Now, the bread wasn't really his body. I mean, the, let me give you different imagery to explain that because I have a picture of my family at home on the wall. If I said this is my family, would that really be them? The answer is no, it's a picture. So when he takes the bread, he says, this is my body. It's a picture of his body eventually being broken. But he took that cup that night and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for forgiveness. Is it really his blood? No, his blood would be shed later. It's a picture. But it begins the blood trail. It begins the blood trail of his life because he says, my blood's going to be poured out for your forgiveness, Jim Del Campbell, because God knows you need a lot of it. And so now as he leaves that last supper, and he's walking down that mountain and all these lambs are being sacrificed Joseph is saying 256,000 of them now think about this that's a lot because the city swells during Passover to over a million people easy because they're coming from everywhere and uh, as they're killing and sacrificing these animals up on this altar the blood's got to go somewhere the guts have to go somewhere well they do the priests 
had built, had these things built, these drainage systems on the altar because there's nowhere to go. Can you imagine? So the blood's draining down and it's gonna, it goes into the Kidron Valley. That's why during Passover at the time, it smelled so bad at that time in Jerusalem because of all the blood and guts down there. Now watch the imagery. Follow the blood trail. Jesus coming down that mountain, he's going to walk in that Kidron Valley. Is it possible that he's going to walk through some of that blood? Is it possible? Now, as he walks through there, guys, I think it is. He's following the blood trail. But what's amazing is this. John the Baptist earlier said, looking at Jesus coming to be water baptized about three years earlier, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is the Lamb coming to save us. And now there's the Lamb Jesus. He's walking through some blood. He's being baptized in blood. Follow the blood trail. Start with the cup. My blood being poured out for you. Now he's walking through this blood trail here. As he walks into this valley, now he begins to ascend up on the other side, going up the Mount of Olives to get to the Garden of Gethsemane eventually. As he goes up, as they rise up, they can see over the wall of Jerusalem as they look across the valley. And they can see the temple which was there at the time, not there now. It will be rebuilt during the great seven-year tribulation in the future of, uh, of this earth. It will be built again. It's prophetically stated in there. Now, they can see this, tem this temple called Herod's Temple. Herod started a building project. There was a little temple there, but he started a project on this temple mount. If you go there now, it's expand he expanded it uh, to 36 acres. He started building in 19 B.C., by the time Jesus is walking up there, this has been about little, just a hair over 50 years that Herod's been building, and he's extending the temple out, so it's huge now. And so Jesus walking up, he can see this thing. Of course, we know 30 years later, Jesus prophesied. We look back in history, Jesus was right. 30 years later, the temple would be destroyed. Not one stone would be left upon another. It only lasted like seven years, and it was torn down. And it didn't really matter because Jesus that one day in John 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. And what is he telling us? He said, I'm moving the temple from a place to a person. In other words, when you and I get, put faith in Christ, the Spirit of God comes and lives in us and now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Any amens on that one? He moves it from a place to a person. So it really didn't matter. He's ascending now up and it's moonlight because it's Passover. I'm sorry, it's full moon time as the, as the moon in its waxing gibbous stage gets to a full moon stage. As they walk up, it's bright out. Even though he's going to get to the garden up there at the top somewhere between midnight and one o'clock in the morning. As they look across, here's what Jesus says to them. Watch this. Put the verse up. Jesus says this. This is one of his teachings as they're walking that night. But he's climbing up and he says... I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Whoa, hold the thought. You and I read that like, okay, cool. No, it's huge. The 12 disciples walking, image please. They look across in the moonlight. This is an artist's rendition. Obviously, they didn't have Polaroid cameras back then. But the temple back then, these are the doors that face east and they can look across in the moonlight. They've seen it many times. But see the pillars on each side and the little cross piece at the top? Surrounding those gold pillars are golden vines with golden clusters of grapes the size of a man and so when Jesus says I'm the true vine they're looking across now they can't understand everything he's saying they don't understand as they look in retrospect like we do at the blood trail of the cup walking through the blood and now he says I'm the vine they can't understand yet but they're beginning to think this is a twilight zone moment right 
And they see that, I'm the vine, they know, well, we know the vine's there, and we know the, the, the doors are there. Because earlier Jesus said in John 10, He said, I am the door. And now you begin to piece it together, us looking back in time, that Jesus is the doorway, and He is the vine that gives life to us, the branches. And He's the blood trail, He says, my blood put out for your forgiveness. He is that person, as He walks through the guts of that night, knowing that He is the true Lamb that comes to take away the sins of the world. So the blood trail continues to move on and on. Now, if I'm those guys, and I'm sitting there, and I look across in the moonlight, and the earlier he said, I'm the door, and I'm the vine, and I see those things, I'm thinking, door, didn't we just talk about at Passover, when we were eating up in that upper room, about the night that we left, about putting the blood on the doorpost and lintel? Didn't we just talk about that? I'm thinking about that in my head. At least I think I would be thinking about that. That Jesus is now painting a picture on the blood trail that he is that door, blood, 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 that he's the one poured out for us. And they're walking along as they climb up onto the top there. When they get to the top, to the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke writes this, and Luke is a physician. So when he went back, he never walked with Jesus, but he took notes from all the original eyewitnesses, and he heard this statement. He's the one who puts it in there because he's a doctor. That's his trade. Now watch this. In Luke 22, 39, he says, he documents and he came out, this is Jesus came out, and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. In other words, Jesus went there a lot. That's why Judas found him there later, because he knew he's probably there. And the disciples also followed him. That's a smart move, don't you think? When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Guys, pray. Pray, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew. The other James, Thomas, guys, Simon the Zealot, guys, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray, because it's coming. Then he withdraws from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, because temptation's coming upon him. Because this is the moment in time, this is the pressure-packed moment in Jesus' life. Will He do it or not? Will He go through it or not? Our life is on the line, our eternity. And here's what He says in the pressurous moment of, the, uh, of His life. He says, Father, He's talking to His Father, God, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You ever been there? where you know the right thing to do and you know what God wants you to do and you're praying, God, can I just do the wrong thing? But you know what, God, if, it's, if I can't, then I'll just do the right thing. I'll do what you say. That's tough, isn't it? But it's called discipleship and it's called maturity and growth spiritually. It says, now an angel from heaven, after Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. After he settles it, and an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Every time we go through temptations and struggles and we're persevering, angels are always surrounding us and strengthening us. Never forget that. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And here's what the doctor Luke says. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Let me first back up a bit. Because now in this garden, he says, let this cup pass from me. Goes back to the cup. Didn't he say there at that last supper, this is the cup of my blood poured out for your forgiveness? Remember he said that? Now it goes back to the cup again. He's given definition. 
If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The bloodletting, let it pass from me. The torture, let it pass from me. The bleeding me dry of every, let it pass from me. Please, if there's another way. He's carrying the blood trail with them. Please, let it just pass. It's a cup of suffering. And so Jesus now is like, finally settles. He says, oh, okay, if this is the only way, it's the only way. If this is what it's going to take to save Jim and Tom and Steve and Julie and Jasmine and Trish and whoever, if this is what it's going to take, it's what it's going to take. And he settles it. Now I want you to think about this now as you follow the blood trail. Because as he's there, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, they would take the olives, because there's olive trees in this garden. There are a few of them still there to this day that were there when Jesus was there. Isn't that crazy? I've seen them. But they would take them, this is a, an oil press, much smaller, because usually the stone is huge, solid rock, this is solid rock, and they would put the olives down here in this olive press there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they'd have an animal here pushing this big old stone, and it's, and it's treading, it's pressing. It's pressing on all these, these olives. And they go round, and they go round, and they go round. And what they're doing is pressing and pressing. And there's typically some drainage spots in there where the oil is squeezed out. And they're going to get every last bit of olive oil they can out of those crushed olives. Gethsemane, the word itself means oil press. And so when Jesus comes here following the blood trail, this is where it all begins. This is where the blood begins to pour from his body. Because Dr. Luke, remember, he said that, and when he goes back in interviews, he said, the original eyewitnesses, they saw Jesus, the 12, they saw him. They, when they woke up, they saw him. They, they, it was blood. There's some this blood kind of thing on his face, on his body. And then he said, well, how could you bleed blood? Let me tell you something. It's a fact. It's a, it's a medical fact. It's called hematidrosa. When you're under tremendous pressure, I mean pressure like you've never felt before, what happens is under your skin the tiny capillaries begin to pop and they mix with sweat and they ooze out through the pores so it looks like sweaty blood that's what it looks like or bloody sweat whichever way you want to say it and so Dr. Luke documents this because the blood is now oozing out of Jesus' body now begins the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of our sins let me tell you something I, I will never forget this I use this illustration every time I get to the spot some of you have been here for a long time you've heard this before and I'll say it probably in the future again when my wife was giving birth to my daughter Vanessa who was jumping on stage carrying that my grandchild easy I remember when they finally told Olivia you can push now any ladies remember when they finally said you could push now didn't you just go oh yeah you're tired of going remember and your husband's there going oh I feel everything you're going through right now shut up come closer but she pushed remember she pushed I remember holding on to her and every muscle in her body was tightened up and she's pushing man I thought she was going to turn green into the Hulk you know she's pushing and she pushed Vanessa out but I remember after she pushed Vanessa out I looked at her face and what are those dark what, what happened to your face and the doctor said what happened she pushed so hard that the capillaries under her skin popped and you could see where it looked like 
dark spots, but it was blood underneath the skin. So I saw it firsthand. Well, think about it. She pushed so hard under so much pressure, but she birthed something new. That's what God does through the blood of Jesus. He's, he's going to the oil press and it's beginning to ooze out of his body. So when he says, I will do it for mankind, I will do it to save you. I'll, I'll let the blood be drained from my body to forgive your sin. The pressure of that moment to birth something new in your life and in my life. Anybody thankful? Thinking back to what you were before until you found Christ? Aren't you glad he, he got a hold of you? Think of where you'd be right now if he didn't? Man, you'd be somewhere partying up, drinking it up, blowing another relationship. Am I right? Another marriage destroyed, more kids angry. Can you imagine another? Oh, now I got to go to two different Christmases at two different places. Isn't that a lot of fun? And he comes and he begins to piece our life back together. Remember all the money you used to blow on things you didn't need to impress people who didn't care? Remember that? And now he's giving you the wisdom to start doing things right so you have a future in your life. Remember that? He did that for you. He went through all that bloodletting to forgive you and I of our sins so we could have a better life. But here's the cool thing. If I'm one of the disciples and I'm following the blood trail, now I'm beginning to think, okay, this is the, maybe, maybe I'm thinking this because earlier we're, we're talking about the door. Let's go back to the door. Because the next morning, Jesus will be crucified. Now, check this out, because most people will never get this imagery until you show it to them. He said, back in Egypt, take the blood of the lamb, Jesus is the lamb of God, takes his sins of the world. take the blood of the lamb, put it on the, on the doorpost, doorpost, up on the lintel. Pretty cool. That way, angel of, angel of death passes over, and you're safe. You're, people are safe. But when you put it at the top, does the blood just stay there? It drops down to the floor. Ah, so there would be a blood stain on the floor. Let's get the imagery. Jesus on the cross. Boom, boom, crown of thorns, feet nailed. Boom, 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 boom. And now you see the imagery of the cross. Anybody see that? Say amen. amen. Now let me tell you the cool stuff. What, what's the date today? I can't remember. What? what, what? Oh, April 14th. You guys do your taxes? You got like 24 hours. <laughs> April 14th. I didn't plan this. It just fell this way. But I'm glad it did. See, back in Exodus chapter 12, when God instructs Moses, get a lamb, and every family had to get a lamb. You know they'd have to have it for four days? It had to become the family pet. At the end of four days, you got to kill it. Now, if you have little children and say, we've got to kill Fluffy, what are your kids going to tell you? No. Some of you even sound like kids. Are, no. Exactly, it's too painful. No, please, Daddy, no. Please, Mommy, no. We have to. And they kill it. And they drain the blood out of it. See, that's mean of God. No, God's painting the picture. He's trying to show us the high cost and the pain in Jesus' life to redeem us from our sins. That's what He's trying to show us. So we never forget, because, you know, after a while, we take the blood for granted, right? Oh, hey, He died on a cross. Really? That simple, huh? No. In Exodus 12, what date is it again? Oh, April 14th. He says, 
I want you to put the blood on the doorpost. He says, on this 14th day of the month. Guess what month that was? April. In Exodus 12, they're putting the blood on the doorpost and lintel on April 14th, the same day it is today. About 3,500 years later, they're doing that. But here's where it gets really cool. Let's say it's April 14th. Let's say there's going to be a resurrection, but there isn't in that time frame. It won't be for another, well, a long time after that, 1,445 years or so. But three days later would be April 17th, right? Can we do that math? 14 plus 3 is... Okay, good. You don't have to get your phone out. See how good we're learning. It would have been Resurrection Day, April 17th back then. Here's what's cool. This day, April 14th, when Moses is told to do this, God says, at this time in Exodus 12, we're going to start a new calendar. It's going to be a religious calendar where this now becomes the first month of the year. It's called Nisan. Not the car, but it's Nisan. It's like a March, April, April 14th being the first month. And then, so the religious calendar starts this. This is the first month. Wait a minute. Let's back up to the very opening document of the entire Bible, Genesis. God tells Noah, Noah, this world is corrupt. This, the culture is bad. They don't even make sense anymore. They're so sinful. Does that ring a bell? It's crazy out there. He said, I want you to build an ark. And he builds it for over 100 years. I'm sure they made fun of that guy. But then one day God says, get in there. They go in and God closes the door. And God opens up the rain from heaven, the flood, and the flood, what's called the floodgates from below, open up and water comes up and water comes down and it floods the earth, kills off everything except for Noah, his wife, three sons and their wives. Aren't you glad you dated his kids, huh? And he got all these animals in there. Because they got to repopulate the earth afterwards. So they're in there escaping this. Because everything that's evil has got to be wiped out. God will never do that again. He will never wipe everything out with water. The next time is going to be with fire, it says. And so there comes a moment in time where the waters are receding. And once they recede and... It starts, you know, coming down. Can you imagine that amount of volume of water over the whole world? As it comes down, it's carving stuff out like a Grand Canyon in a couple months. Not eight million years. And so, the ark rests on Mount Ararat. Do you know what day it rests on? It says the seventh month and the seventeenth day. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal. Because... That's the civil calendar. This began the religious calendar. The, on the civil calendar, the seventh month and the seventeenth day is equal to, on the religious calendar, April the 17th, which would have been three days after this, which symbolizes the crucifixion, which is resurrection. And so Moses, I'm sorry, Noah, comes out on the day that there would have been a resurrection, him and his family to new life. And if that didn't give you chills, then I can't do anything for you. Because that should be like, oh man, let's try that again. Oh, I feel better. Put to new life. The old ways washed away. All things become new. See, that's what Jesus offers us. 
He comes in that last week. You follow the blood trail, the cup, the guts in there, the oil press, I am the vine, the blood on the door, picture of the crucifixion. You follow the blood trail. And if you put your faith in Jesus, he offers you new life, a life that you've never had before. I, I can testify to that. And so can many, many of you in this room. And I'm here to offer you that today. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus. I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And maybe this is all different and strange to you. I'm glad you're here still. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus, the correct version of Jesus, is one that came to earth and gave his life for you, suffered for you. And that blood that he shed, it says, without the shedding of that blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And sin keeps us out of the presence of God eternally and sin sends us to hell so that's the meaning of God has sent me to hell no we sent ourselves there he opened the way he gave us the doorway you can choose to go wherever you want to go but I'm here to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus because he loves you he did all this for you so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you'd like to or maybe you backslid you walked away just, you just left. You left Jesus. I don't know. Maybe you blamed him for something. Maybe somebody talked you out of it. Maybe you got into a wrong relationship. Maybe you got into an old habit and you started to drift away and pretty soon you're pretty far away. I'm here to tell you it's okay to come back. My favorite story, the prodigal son, is a collection of three stories, not just one. It's lost coin, lost sheep, and lost son. Jesus says, tells three stories in one little chapter and whenever he does the same story three times with different elements to it but the same thing you better believe he's trying to convey a message and what's the message? what is lost really matters to someone see you matter to Jesus and so do I matter to him so I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to place your faith in him and become a follower of Jesus if you've never done that or if you backslid come back to him so close your eyes please